welcome to my podcast, Stories by Vera V. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest by the name of... Joseph Schmidt. And we'll be discussing what's it like writing a book whilst writing a PhD. Interesting stories by interesting people. Stories by Vera V. So would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, so uh, my name is Joseph Schmidt. Most people call me Joey, so I guess go by Joey. Um, I am currently... In my second year of a PhD in uh, physics here at UT Austin, and I do a lot of things on the side. So I'm currently <laughs> writing a book. Um, so it's kind of like self-publishing, and and yeah, so that's that's fun. But it's always been a dream of mine to publish something, a book or something. So yeah, besides that, I do a lot of woodworking, uh, 3D printing. I um, I was in a dance team, so I'm I'm all over the place. <laughs> You're so casual with it. Oh, just on the side, you know, publishing a book, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's I, I've gotten used to it. I have to get used to it now. Just say I'm an author. It's it's weird. Yeah. But because <laughs> it's it's supposed to be because I saw your story highlight and it said that originally it was going to be published in December, right? And now it's going to mm -hmm. be in May. So what was yeah. the if you don't mind me asking, what was the delay? So I'm part of a program. It's, uh, it's the Creative Writers Institute. I think that's what it's called. But um, so they have a, a set schedule. It's insane. Within mm -hmm. a year, you're supposed to have the full book and everything done. Um, but essentially, they give you six months to plan your book and write all your words. So the first month or so is planning, writing down, getting your characters, kind of having a, a good uh kind of goal to shoot for and then the next four or five months or so it's uh, you actually writing your first draft of your book mm -hmm. and then um you do like marketing so you you tell people like hey like this is my book like I'm really excited about it and then you you pitch it to people and um you fundraise for it because it's self-published so you're trying to raise your own funds um if you can and after that it's it's kind of the refinement, proofreading, uh, actually getting out there, marketing and stuff like that. That's the latter half. And because I'm doing a PhD at the same time, <laughs> it's just, it was just too much for me to, to do. And, and like my, I, I spoke with my editor too. And he, he said, you have what you wrote is good, but I feel like you could do a lot more. And, you, and like, I thought about it and he was right. So they allowed me, they're, they're really generous. They allow you to extend it because, I mean, they recognize people have different circumstances and things like that. So mm -hmm. I extended it not once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> and so it took me like 11 months to, to write the first draft of the book. But it was, a, I think, 52,000 words, which is about a, the size of a usual novel. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> That's <laughs> I took quite my a bit. time. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But also for the program, so you go into it wanting to write a book, right? Without any sort of solid idea? Or how does that work? Like, what does yeah. the program do, you know? Does it provide just yeah. guidance or? It's so, yeah, when you start the program, um, I mean, you you have an inkling, you want to write a book and maybe some idea. And then you pitch, you pitch it, you're on a call with the, with the, the kind of the creator of the program. Um, and then you pitch them your idea and say, I want to go in this category and this is kind of what I'm thinking. And then if, if they believe that, that what you have is good enough and you kind of like, you sound inspired by it, 
um, they say like, okay, cool. Like they green light you. And then um, you pay, honestly, for me, it was, I forgot what, like $300 for the full program, which is, they have people on calls, tell you how to write books, how to write like the structure of the books, uh, writing tips. They have like a group, a writing group there. They have like a, you get your own editing team, like giving you ideas. You have like a marketing team. It's honestly like the, the value of it was, I was, I'm, I'm stupefied even today. Like the amount of stuff they can do, like that mm-hmm. they do for you and to help you. It's, it's really amazing. And like the, I've met a couple of authors there too. And we're like, I'm going to buy your book. I'm going to buy your book. So it's, <laughs> it's a, yeah. So it's just a really fun place right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, is it all digital? Yeah. Right now it's online. I don't, I don't know previously how, I guess there was originally it started like, it started, I think like, I don't know how, how long ago, but I think originally it was in a class. And so he taught it to students and he's like, within a semester you write a book and then within a year you kind of finish it and publish it and stuff like that so <laughs> within a semester you write a book <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> it's within 6 months or so <laughs> yeah but 52,000 words you know well no i would no that takes that takes a little longer <laughs> yeah so what made you want to write yours when did you first have that idea that you wanted to write a book uh, it was the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> it was right. Yeah. When the pandemic started, um, I was picking up a lot of different hobbies and stuff. And so originally I, I picked, I started doing app programming with my brother. He's like, Hey, let's do this app programming thing. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> we did that for a bit. And I was like, I don't know, like, casually watching like Netflix and shows and stuff. And I was watching at that time, I think I was watching the the boys maybe. Uh, it's on on Amazon. It's like a gritty gritty superhero. Like, what would happen if superheroes happened in real life? Like with corporations kind of mm-hmm. uh, selling them essentially. And so it, I was watching that, and then I think I got an article about it was genetic engineering. Like, the first genetically modified uh, embryo was in uh-huh. China in 2015. <laughs> And I saw that and I was like, what? So I started getting a bunch of like articles about genetic engineering. And so I just went down a rabbit hole of reading different like technologies and techniques and things like that. And then I started watching like um, documentaries about it. And that like, it was, it was amazing and terrifying to see what, what like genetic engineering could do, what it was capable of. And like, it could solve so many problems, but you had to be really, really careful about how you use it. And so that, that started to make me think like, okay, cool. In the near future, we're probably going to be doing stuff like that. And and mm-hmm. so I was just thinking like, what happens if you could give people like superpower subscriptions, like every month you just genetically modify someone. And then they get like super strength or like uh, enhanced intellect or reflexes or things like that. And so I was like, oh, that would actually be pretty cool. And then so I started like writing down a bunch of ideas and notes and stuff like that. And then I had a really long document, like with a list of a bunch of different like ideas I had for for it. Now I, I started speaking with a couple of friends and they're like, oh, that seems like a really good like comic book or like a book and they're like you're right you're right (laughs) (laughs) and so I like tucked that away in the back of my mind and then um 
so that was kind of the inkling of the idea. And then originally I was also working on a, a poetry book. So I was writing a lot of poetry when I was going out for walks. Um, I had, I don't know, 70 poems or so. And I was like trying to make it into a book. And I was like, I want to publish a poetry book. Like that's always been kind of a dream of mine. And then this program came up and I was like, oh, this is perfect. It'll like, they'll train me, they'll teach me how to do it. And then I was thinking like, I want to know how to market my book. I want to know kind of the ins and outs of the industry. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. so I pitched them the idea. I was like, hey, superheroes, genetic engineering, are you buying it? Are you with it? And they're like, yes, we'll do it. And I was like, okay. And now here we are. <laughs> so with the yeah, poetry so book, are you going to do a second one or is it kind of combined into this one? The So the poetry book, I, I, I postponed that because um, I wanted to, I felt more confident that I could do kind of the superhero stuff first and it would help me kind of run a test trial of um, kind of understanding the process of making a book, marketing it, especially marketing it. My, my brothers told me he does some marketing stuff here and there uh, with like Amazon books that he writes. So mm-hmm. he always gives me tips and tricks and I'm like, I want to learn how to do it as well. And so um, kind of the book writing program was a way to learn the industry a little better. And then I'll throw in a poetry book somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I have yeah plans for one poetry book and another one coming up later but yeah there's so many so many things on the back burner right now <laughs> three books in the works <laughs> that's really yeah. impressive yeah quite my, a bit of my work. notes are yeah my notes are very uh, <laughs> hectic and scattered <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think it's good to have things going because I think one thing truly does feed another and it inspires something else and it just all ends up working out mm-hmm. yeah all the I, I like to tell people all the stuff I failed at and all the stuff I gave up on, it rolled into what I'm doing now. So like yeah. a lot of, a lot of stuff I did before, like website, I did like, I tried to do online marketing, selling like t-shirts and stuff like that. And that taught me how to build websites on WordPress. And now I use that to market my book. And I was like, all the stuff I did then I thought were failures. Like I can use them now and, and learn from them. So it's, that's, that's really nice. Everything just comes together. But with writing, mm-hmm. did you start writing when you were young? Like, was that ever something that you were really into? Not, not writing like stories per se. I more got into poetry. Mm. Um, in high school, I had awesome English teachers. They, you know, the whole every word means something. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, nothing, nothing is, nothing is not intentional. And so I, I got like a lot of learning about that um, from some awesome teachers. We did like really in-depth poetry analysis. Um, and that just made me appreciate kind of the the cadence, the rhythm, kind of the emotion behind it. And um, I started writing my own poetry. It was probably not that good. <laughs> and eventually I, I wrote a speech for... I remember high school graduation, I wrote a speech. I really like writing speeches. And so I asked the like the the counselor at that time, like, hey, I want to give the speech at the high school, like senior um, kind of graduation thing. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And she was like, no one's ever asked me this before. Like, uh- <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll do it then. And so Did you guys she, not have speeches me... before? Well, normally they have like, traditionally you have like the salutatorian or the valedictorian give yeah. the speech, right? Uh-huh. And so they had that going on as well. Um, oh, okay. So you just had one to was, add into it. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they spaced it out like, so the valedictorian said it at the end because it was kind of a farewell speech. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they threw in my speech there and I was happy about that. But I, I gave that speech and after I gave that speech, like I, I have a, a thing of like a, on my whiteboard, I have cool things that I've done. And <laughs> the speech actually made somebody cry who didn't speak English <laughs> and the speech was in English. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my, my, my classmate comes up to me afterwards and she says, you made my grandma cry with your speech and she doesn't speak English. That was like, dang. <laughs> and so like at, at that, like it was then that I realized that like words are really powerful and like this, like the ability to create and, and, convey emotion to someone else is like a really powerful thing and I was I I just like fell in love with that ability to not not manipulate emotion but to like transfer emotion and Mm -hmm. make people understand that and I I think I just from from then on I started appreciating writing and stuff a lot more and here we are again have any poems made you cry or made you really emotional Yeah, there. Um, I think the one in our cellar for sure. Don't go. What was it? Uh, don't go gently into that good night. Mm-hmm. That one is like inspirational, but also um, like it's like bittersweet. Um, and then which other one? There's one by. I forgot who it, who it was by, but it was like the, like a really short poem, three lines or four lines. And I think it was like baby shoes for sale. Um, not used selling for $5. And it was just like, (laughs) I sounds really familiar. I, yeah, that one, uh, it was just a super, super short poem, but like, I, the first time I read it, I was like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like, <laughs> what, what, then my English teacher's like, read it again. <laughs> and then I just looked up and I was like, okay, what? And she's like, she just looked at me and I was like, I, I looked at it again. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that really hit me. Mm-hmm. And also, because you mentioned analyzing works thoroughly in English class. So when you were writing your book, did you really put everything in there intentionally? Does that make sense? So <laughs> it's, I mean, probably not like, not not to the level of intentionality of like, oh, this word is five letters and the next one is four four plus five is nine and not like not like that not like that level of cryptic messages yeah no no, not not that much but definitely so 
it's 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 fun because I, I plan to make this a trilogy. So this is the first book. I roughly have what the the next books are going to be. So mm-hmm. I'm inserting like little things here and there throughout the first book, like in, very intentionally. And and the first book by itself too. There's a really twist ending at the end. So I have to intentionally put things at the beginning that make it seem natural. That's that's the hard part uh-huh. because. You want you want this story to seem like it could naturally happen. And I don't want the I mean you've you've seen probably movies where like the ending just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Or yeah. or or it just like it abruptly switches and you're just like that character is why why are they doing that? Their their motives don't really match what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so that that's always tricky um to get right but I'm trying to be as intentional as I can. <laughs> so you're thinking from beginning to ending, how to make it flow as smoothly as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, that's the tricky part. I realized when, when I built the timeline of events, I had a first scene and a last scene and it was like very, very different places for the character, the, the protagonist. And so I had to think about, I had to juggle a lot of things. I had to think about how to make them get there in a, in a um, kind of step-by-step way that uh-huh. wasn't boring. So you have to kind of the, the, was it the traditional wind up and then you get to the climax and then you drop down to so your traditional story like that. But then you also have your kind of side characters and they also have to go through some, some obstacles and things like that. So they you have to weave in their story as well and then there's um kind of how how the how the setting plays with the characters and you have to make that cohesive and make it match with the characters response so dialogue and slang and kind of uh uh family traditional values and things like that have to have to make sense with the characters and the setting and so yeah it's <laughs> it's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> so it's just basically you're creating, because I mean, that's what it is. You're just creating a whole separate world where that book and everything exists in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you it's, ever read A Clockwork Orange? I mean, I'm sure you, have you? I don't think so. No, I haven't. Because I feel like that book is just the prime example of it being a whole separate world. So it's, there's even like a different language it's English but it's also mixed in with Russian and some other Slavic languages but by the time you finish the book you actually understand it and you really feel like you're completely immersed in the story so I think that's really interesting I yeah it's it's definitely definitely hard to do especially Mm -hmm. if there's like different I am so I have I have kind of a similar thing not not multiple languages mixing but I'm doing English (laughs) Spanish so it's it's set. It's set in a border town, so there's Spanglish. So there's Spanglish. English mixed in with mixed in with with Spanish there. So that's always fun too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is Spanish your first language? No, it's my third. Yeah, What's first was first? English. Uh huh. And then? first was yeah. First was English. Second was Indonesian. Wow. And then <laughs> third was Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of mad because my mom's from Mexico and 
she didn't teach us, me and my brothers, I have two older brothers. She didn't teach us Spanish, even though she knew Spanish. We, oh. we lived in Indonesia. We lived in Papua New Guinea. We pe- picked up Indonesian there, completely forgot it. We moved to Mexico. And my mom didn't teach us any Spanish before this. Keep, keep that in mind. So we moved to Mexico. We're put in a middle school, a Spanish middle school. I show up first day, know nothing of Spanish. And so I'm like, I just walk into the classroom. The teacher's like, hola a todos. Este es un nuevo estudiante. This is like a new student. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just like waving. <laughs> I, I have no idea what they're saying. She's like, she just points to a desk over there. I just walk over to the desk at the back. Everyone's looking back at me going, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> and then, yeah. So that, that, that forced me to pick up Spanish real quick. Uh, no, I bet. Because, I mean, it was the same thing with me. I moved from Russia to United States when I was like nine. I mean, it's still younger, but I didn't speak mm-hmm. a word of English. Yeah, you, you you pick it up quick. Yeah. How did did you did you pick it up through? Because I know a lot of people most of the time when they move, they pick it up through like songs or or TV or. Mm-hmm. No, it was mostly books. Because every night I would sit down and I would read this one book, "The Power of Poppy Pendle." It's like a fictional yeah. kids book about yeah. like a witch. And every single word that I didn't know, I would write it down and I would study it. So eventually just kind of came to be. Yeah. No, for, for me, I, a thing that also helped, we would watch TV, like Spanish TV with my mom. And then, so I'd, I'd ask her like, what does that mean? Like whenever she was there, when we were watching TV, so that, that helped out. El Chavo del Ocho. That was, that was the show I remember. Watching. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's so interesting because when you're placed in that sort of environment where you don't understand a thing, I got a headache and it just sounds, it just seems so foreign, you know, but then you mm-hmm. just come to familiarize yourself with it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's funny too. Like hearing, hearing other people describe it. Like when you hear a foreign language, you, it's just, it just sounds like random words and phrases <laughs> and noises and stuff like that. But then mm-hmm. like when you hear a language, you know, and then someone beside you doesn't know that language. It's so weird. Like asking them, describe what you think you're hearing to me. And they're just like, I don't know. It sounds like a bunch of S, S, yeah. S like, like, <laughs> random like because like spanish for example it'll have a bunch of s s sounds in it so then they're like oh i just hear like s's or whatever and it's it's always funny kind of thinking what it would sound like another language if you didn't know it Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just meta (laughs) i watched a video once about what english sounds to non-english speakers what it Mm -hmm. sounds like and someone said that it sounds like vegetables being cut (laughs) 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 vegetables being cut yeah i mean i could see it because it's kind of on the softer side but you know (laughs) (laughs) is it like is it hard vegetables or soft vegetables like no they provided imagery too it was was lettuce (laughs) (laughs) lettuce i can't (laughs) that's so specific i love that Lettuce being cut. Mm-hmm. And so with your book, when you were writing it, because I mean, it's about, it's a science fiction book, right? Mm-hmm. And there's Spanglish in it. But did you, because you like poetry so much, were you thinking also about the word choices and how that would make it sound? Do you know what I'm asking? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Not, not, not in terms of the, so I had to learn this the hard way. And at the beginning, <laughs> at the beginning, I wrote in a very poetic way where I was describing the scenery and like um, how, how the air was strung tight, like a something wire or something. I, uh-huh. I would say that. And then <laughs> I would write out the whole, like the, the, how the environment felt and how the air was tense and that sort of thing. And then my my editor at that time, he's like, you write a lot about like the 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 sound and imagery and like stop. <laughs> we need more like quick, we need more quick action and like shorter sentences, choppy choppy, let's go. Mm-hmm. And so I, I at the beginning, I was very descriptive about um imagery and details and sounds and um in a very poetic way. And I had to like unlearn that. Now I'm seeing it like I'm I'm reading uh this is this is my reference of my of, of good books to follow. It's it's one of my favorite books, uh-huh. and uh, I'm I'm noticing now like the patterns that are in like different styles of books. So shorter mm-hmm. sentences, um, the 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 word choice is very important, very very tricky because you you have a you have an image in your mind of how you want a certain action to look and feel. And like, um, like he stood up nervously, but you want to try and describe that in one word. You don't want to be verbose. You want to keep, keep minimal words. So mm-hmm. you try and look for that word that stand up nervously. What's, what's a synonym for that that you can use in one word. And so that's, that's a lot of the trick sometimes is it's, it's that game you play where, you know, the word you, you you're thinking of the word, but you just don't know what the word is. And so you have to like hunt down a lot of times that word. And so that's always tricky. <laughs> so you went from very flowery and descriptive descriptions. I don't know how else to call it to more concise wording, because is that the typical, cause I don't read much science fiction. So, I mean, I don't know, mm-hmm. but is that just the typical, I guess, standard for the genre? Yeah. So I, I like to use the, the way I described it before was artsy fartsy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah now now it's 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 not that it's not descriptive it's that it's um you're not doing kind of relational comparison so you won't say this thing is like this thing and in poetry you have that a lot like you say the air was like blank blank Similes. you're comparing Similes. yeah exactly yeah you're you're comparing one thing to another and and juxtaposing the the characteristics or or um Mm -hmm. kind of building it up that way but in yeah in 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 sci-fi or fiction a lot of times you have i mean you can have lengthy descriptions of things but it's a lot more sensory details so the colors the textures but in a very not clinical way but um not as i guess flowery as 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 Uh poetry so you're just trying Mm -hmm. to squeeze as much meaning into the words as you can as much yeah. meaning into as little words. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of times you want to like remove adverbs. So if you can say he stood up nervously, if you can say that in a shorter way, you want to do that. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Because I know some books, I mean, they're classics like um, War and Peace. There are a lot of descriptions of nature and it's just very, very, it's almost microscopically detailed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those those ones are, 
at least the way I see it, you have to, the, if you describe like that to that level of specificity, it has to be for a reason. Like maybe the character, maybe, maybe, maybe like, like you're in the character, a certain character's mind and they see the world in that way. Like maybe they're a botanist. So they like pay hyper specific detail or attention to like a leaf and they're describing all the ways <laughs> the that the leaf veins. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and so, like, you can you can definitely like use the way a scene is described to to be in the mind's eye of a certain character to to exemplify certain traits and characteristics that they have. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So, your essentially your editor said to keep it concise to maintain a consistent, I guess, like style of writing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. Because right now I'm reading um, Fitzgerald's The Beautiful and Damned. Mm-hmm. And it's not said to be his best work, but it's, I mean, it's up there. But obviously his masterpiece is said to be The Great Gatsby. But The Beautiful and Damned, it was kind of criticized because the writing is, it's not inconsistent, but it's not as consistent as The um, the Great Gatsby. So I think that's mm-hmm. interesting also. Mm-hmm. What, what what do they mean by not not consistent? Does it change between like different chapters or i'm getting this from the you know the little prologue that they do from the some someone reviews the book basically and they write like a synopsis of it i guess so they're saying that it's not as developed i guess so there isn't as much meaning in as little words as possible that makes sense Mm -hmm. but i think that comes with practice because i mean obviously the more you write the better at it you get Mm -hmm. yeah you definitely i've i've noticed that too like I, I I'm reading I'm in the, the the copy editing stage right now so I'm I'm reading my old stuff stuff I did at the beginning and oh my gosh <laughs> um, it's it's not it's not bad but it's just it's overly descriptive that's that's uh-huh. the way my my editor would put it so and that was a year I, ago your first stuff that yeah it was yeah 10 10 11 months ago yeah a year ago wow yeah a year ago damn <laughs> time flies <laughs> yeah that must be so interesting seeing your progress it's yeah i i can i it's it's funny because when so originally i had the six months and then they they asked me like what are you planning on doing and i said i want to extend it and my editor's like you should build out more of the world based on like uh because because I have the main storyline follows a protagonist, a high schooler, mm-hmm. and he's like, you should you should build out a storyline to see how the police would interact with like these superpowers. Like, how would they deal with it? And so I was like, oh, yeah, you, it's a cool idea. And so that was my extension period was kind of a police storyline, like a side story. But I had to weave it into the main storyline. <laughs> so like, as as I'm reading, as I'm reading the chapters, I'll have like my old old stories like from a year ago like my old writing mixed in with the newer writing which is like snappy and quick and I I think it's a lot better and I mix it in and so it's it's funny because (laughs) I'll read one chapter and it's like the old stuff it's like overly descriptive and technical and and Mm -hmm. verbose and then I have the new stuff which is like very quick and action-packed and and it's a lot smoother and so that's always always funny to 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 have them side by side and uh, to read them so that yeah I definitely I can definitely see <laughs> see the difference between the two there 
Mm. And so with that, are you going to rewrite the old stuff to maintain a sort of consistent C? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, yeah. Rewriting, cutting down a lot of words. I've, I've cut down, I don't know, maybe a thousand words already from the first oh my gosh. Three chapters. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it was, it was a lot. Of, it was too, too wordy, but I need a, I might add some stuff in there because for my, my editors, like you need world building and certain details about stuff like that. So, mm. uh, but yeah, certainly a lot of cutting down. So right now is cut. the editing process. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to write? to write it before you started really editing it? Um, so we have, right now it's, I think my second week of, of the editing process and I have, I have seven weeks. So I have until January, February, the end of February mm -hmm. to go through the whole book twice. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> And so I have to I, I have to be really diligent about a chapter a day or something like that is is, is my key target uh, pace right now. But yeah, so I have about two months to do the editing and then the, the actual writing process was it took 11 months. But that was that was because I had to do school on the side. You know, school got in the way of, of yeah. my writing, my true <laughs> career, my true call. <laughs> But yeah, so 11 months, but I, I could have dedicated more time if, if, if I had balanced school better. So, Do you have an estimation of the hours? Because I'm just, I don't know. I have no idea how long it takes to write a book. I don't know. See, I, mm. I'd, I'd get into these really good grooves where I'd write like a thousand words a day or every, every two days. <laughs> um, and then I would just not write for a week <laughs> and so it's it's really inconsistent i i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to um tell you but i did one fun thing i did do is i tracked my my i actually have a a plot of um i'm a real big like numbers junkie so mm -hmm. i plotted in excel like how many words i wrote whenever i finished a scene i considered a scene like a, a block of something happening essentially so whenever I finish one of those, I would write in Excel the the words it has, and then I'd add that. And so I have a nice little, I have a a target trend line that I'm supposed to hit, where it it goes like this, and then I plateau at uh, six hundred thousand or yeah sixty thousand. That was my my goal, and it's a nice little trend line to sixty thousand. And my little plot is like flatlined, and then a spike. And then flat line and then a spike <laughs> until I get to like 52,000. So uh -huh. it's, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you how long it took. It was very sporadic. So mm. a little bit all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that's how the best works of art come to be, honestly. Yeah. I, I did, I did realize that too. Like you need time away from it to think about like, um, what's going to happen. Cause I'm, I, I plotted out like a timeline of what I wanted to happen. But then when I started to write it, I realized I don't really know as much as I thought I knew coming in, like how are, how are the characters reacting to the certain scene? Like, and, and, and it was annoying because I knew how I wanted 
a certain scene to begin and a certain scene to end. And then I had to have a, a character say a specific line. Mm-hmm. And that was always, that was always tricky because I had to weave it into the conversation and then, oh, they casually said this line, which is key to getting to the end of the scene. Mm-hmm. So that was always, yeah, it, it was, it was always good to leave it for a bit. I didn't always complete a scene in one sitting. Sometimes I'd complete it halfway, come the next day and then finish it off. But yeah, definitely time away from it did help to get a good picture of what I was doing. Have you ever dreamt about it or anything that helped your book? Because I know sometimes it happens to people who are like, I don't know, artists or writers or singers. Not dream, but I had the annoying thing that happened where right before you go to sleep, you get a really good idea. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're in that, you get, you're in that conundrum where you're like, should I get up or am I going to remember it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And then so I, oftentimes I'd, I'd, I'd just wake up and I'd, I'd be sitting in bed for 30 minutes and I'd pull out my phone and be writing notes for like 10 minutes or something. So you would remember so that, it in the happened. morning? No, I wouldn't remember it in the morning. I, okay. Yeah. I, if I, if I, if I, if I forgot it, I don't know. <laughs> there might have been some of those that I forgot that I just don't know. But uh, most of the time, if I was there lying in bed, I'd have to write it down because I I feel like, I mean, I, I, how would I know if I forgot it? But I feel like it was just a good idea. So I had to write it down. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I think every idea comes for some sort of reason, right? Because everything sparks everything else. Mm-hmm. But... With your PhD, what made you want to pursue a PhD in physics? Because that sounds like a very hefty job. You know? <laughs> so yeah, that that one came in um, in high school. I had a I had a professor, a teacher, uh, Mr. Braden, and he was uh, he was a quirky man. He he liked to do a lot of things too. He he'd do like electronics. Like he'd be teaching class. And then we'd have free time to do homework or whatever. And then in the meantime, he'd be working on like some electronics, like circuits or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he was a really big inspiration for me. Um, he didn't study physics per se. He was kind of a, I think he was an engineer, but um, he just liked to do a lot of different things, interested in physics and stuff like that. So he had a lot of trinkets around his, his, uh, his classroom and I really wanted to do physics because of him, but um, the university I was close by didn't really have a good physics program. So I went into engineering and I I got, I was, I was really interested in space, kind of space propulsion systems. So Uh um, like (laughs) chemical rockets and, and like uh, fusion, like all the, all the weird quirky stuff, like warp drives and fusion drives and stuff like that. And um, so I did engineering and I was working with microsatellites and kind of building building that stuff and the circuitry for that. And um, I figured if I'm going to, I like, I, I like doing research. And I figured if I was going to keep doing research, like, why not do it in physics? And so go. I went all the way and I said, PhD in physics, let's go. It's now or never. Because <laughs> a, a lot of people tell me, they're like, after you graduate, you like if you go into work, in, in industry, you get, you get accustomed to the pay, you get accustomed to the schedule of the nine to five. And then if they go back to do a PhD, it's just, it's too jarring. Like you have to make your own schedule. You have to set like study 
uh, the pay is not as good as industry. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I figured I'd, I'd, I'd do PhD now because I probably wouldn't be able to do it later. So mm. yeah, that was, that was kind of my, my reasoning. I don't know if it's flawed, but I'm here. <laughs> no, but I think it makes sense. And you're two years in, how's that going? <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, it was really bad online. I did not like it online started when pandemic started. So mm-hmm. first, yeah, but bunch of online stuff, um, and it's it's hard too because physics is a very like you need to be slow and methodical and 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 it's nice to have somebody write down the equations on the board and you can ask them questions because a lot of professors like they're they're older professors they'll just use like slideshows they use PDFs and they're like here's my notes and they're just like scrolling through <laughs> like next 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 <laughs> like stop let me <laughs> let me like write it down first so. That was that was not fun, um, but it's it's calmed down a bit. Um, there, there's usually like in the PhD, it's usually like two years of of you take classes just to catch you up, and then after like two years, you you present what you're going to do for your PhD for the next three to four years. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm almost done with that two year basic courses, and then I have to present um, what I'm going to be researching for the next three three years so do you know what you're going to be researching do you have an idea yeah yeah so it's uh i'm trying to let me sound cool here (laughs) (laughs) it's numerical plasma fusion so i i do coding um i'm a real big numbers junkie so it's it's essentially coding um analyzing running simulations of fusion reactors so Whatever, what powers our sun, the fusion, fusing mm-hmm. little particles together and creating energy, uh, what powers our sun, we're trying to get that here on Earth, but it's really complex and hard to control it and maintain it. And so um, if you, you can run like numerical simulations where um, you, you simulate what's happening just with uh, code, and then you try and analyze the performance of the reactor that way. And so I'm, I'm working on that. There's a bunch of different type of reactor designs and stuff. And so there it's, it's, it's at a nice stage where there's kind of a a solid idea of what we want, but there's a lot of different approaches. And so Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a lot of different avenues you can go about in exploring it. And so um, that's kind of what I do. I like the pretty graphs. I like the coding. So perfect for me uh uh-huh. and would that be i mean i don't want to sound dumb because i i'm literally not familiar with this at all <laughs> but would that be more classified as astrophysics then because it's kind of related to you know the sun it's not so astrophysics would be um i i, I think more of astrophysics like you're monitoring celestial bodies so oh, it's okay. more you, you yeah it's more like telescopes and and uh microwave kind of imagery and stuff like that so you're you're imaging stuff essentially i that's what i consider uh Mm. that but this is more kind of on the line of like engineering and yeah it's probably more engineering because you're you're concerned with like um essentially like it's it's like a nuclear reactor you're concerned with um how much fuel you need what the shape of the reactor is um 
how much power you require, power in, power out, kind of all the all the little technical details. Mm-hmm. So it's I'd, I'd consider it more engineering um, per se, but the physics part is uh, understanding the physical forces of of fusing and and how to contain it and stuff like that, magnetism and electromagnetism. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Casual, fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> what kind of classes have you been taking for that in the first two years? Um, so it's, <clears throat> the basics are, so you, you take classical mechanics that that's concerned with like the motion of stuff. So kind of, kind of, you're operating in the everyday large scale I throw this thing. How does it? What's the path it takes? Um, yeah, kind of, kind of that large scale uh, study of objects moving and doing stuff. So classical mechanics, and then what's the other one? Uh, statistical mechanics. That one's concerned with um, essentially counting uh, probabilities. So if I have a hundred particles, uh, how are they going to behave? Um, you get you get a lot of like laws of thermodynamics, how do gases behave? Um, so that's kind of like large scale objects. How do they behave? How do a large number of objects behave? What's the other one? There's right next. I'm going to take quantum mechanics, which is, oh. that's the <laughs> yeah, that's the fun stuff. That's the, that's worried with like atoms. Like this is, that's where you get all the weird stuff. You have like, uh, you don't have atoms behaving as like spherical, shell like objects like the whole the the typical picture you usually learn in chemistry is like an atom is a ball an electron is orbiting yeah but um but quantum mechanics basically says that it's not actually a ball it's like a it's they call it a probability wave and so as opposed to being like definitively like my atom isn't just here Mm -hmm. it's it's mm, like 70 percent here it's 25% over here, 25% over here. So there is a small chance that an atom is like, like way, like 10 miles that way. But 99, 99%, it's going to be at this location. So it's, it's like, it sees objects as not, not definitive, like point objects, but more like um, probability waves, like you have a certain percentage of being here versus there and stuff like that. So that you get a whole bunch of weird quirky stuff with quantum mechanics. Um, and then electromagnetism, that one, that one's rough. Um, that one's just worried about kind of the electric forces. Uh, but then the, the fun part about that is that you can have like conductors, like how do, how do conducting spheres behave uh, in the presence of a conducting rod and like, mm-hmm. how do they attract? What, what are the forces between them? How do they move? Um, so you, you get like, you get a whole bunch of weird scenarios where you like consider an infinite flat sheet of metal with a small <laughs> hole in the middle. Like, how does that behave if I put a <laughs> particle like up here and it's like, okay, sure. I guess we're, I guess we're calculating that today, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that one's that one's um that's that's more of what I'd use since electromagnetism is concerned with charged particles, which is uh fusion, plasma fusion is concerned with charged particles. Um so I have to use that sadly. Um, sadly. Yeah. 
yeah no it's it it just gets ugh. I'm, I'm having flashbacks <laughs> yeah as i can imagine based on what you described i didn't understand most of it i'm just gonna let you know now <laughs> but it just it seems to be very time and energy consuming because i mean it's a very like do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's, in your yeah i have a, a a friend described it he's he's in mathematics and he's like we have we have a couple of friends who aren't in any stem related thing no math no science stuff they look at us looking at our papers and our textbooks and they're like what <laughs> they, they, they look at the symbols there's like math equations and stuff they're yeah. like are you reading another language and we're like oh yeah i guess we are <laughs> basically yeah it kind, of, it kind of feels like that at some points so is physics something you would want to pursue later down the road yeah i mean so fun fact um i'm kind of doing this graduate stuff to buy time because i don't want to go into industry I I did internships. I did internships as like during the summer uh, in industry. I didn't really like it. Uh, I guess I didn't like the flexibility. And so I'm, I like, I like research. So I figured that that was another thing that factored into the PhD. I like the flexibility. I like doing research, but I also get to explore kind of other things that I like. So writing a book um, kind of, DIY building stuff mm-hmm. and so who knows maybe I'll I'll do physics maybe I'll become the author famous author I don't know buy my book please so I can become a famous author <laughs> going with the flow I like that <laughs> yeah yeah but so in the yeah, industry I just no go on could you talk about the industry a little bit more because I'm kind of like what are the jobs I guess for physics or engineering yeah, so in in industry, it depends on where you want to work. So you can go the traditional route of kind of academia. Um, that would be becoming a professor, becoming a teacher, becoming, uh, mm. I guess, like a researcher too. Um, so there's always that route. You're, you're kind of tied to a university working with them. And then there's the kind of, you can work the government sector. So you work with like a government lab. They have a lot of research labs and stuff like that. Um, you can work with them as a researcher. You can work with industry. Um, you can work in kind of like the private sector. And the the nice thing is that, like I've I've heard a lot of people say this with with a PhD in um, essentially anything. What the PhD signifies is that you can do research. You're dedicated and you're kind of self motivated and and um, you can kind of keep accountability of yourself. So it's, it's a really like good sign for someone if, if they have a PhD from what I usually hear um, and that they usually get to direct their own projects per se, or they have a little more autonomy in, in working. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That clears it up a little bit more. And so lastly, just to kind of end this, um, I want to ask what made you choose the title for your book? Oh, (laughs) <laughs> okay so yeah the title is xenogene i had to think about this one a lot because um i had i had a list of kind of other other titles i wanted genoma and genetica i wanted to make it something originally spanish um, kind of relating to my uh heritage and my kind of past um so i was genetica 
that one was already taken by a corporation. I was like, ah, oh, dang. So oh. some other ones, I, yeah, I was looking at a bunch of them and it's like, oh, there's a company, there's something else named after that. And so it was, uh, so one, one of it, I think was, so the, the, the second book in after the Enders game is called Xenocide. And that one, I like the Xeno prefix. I was, I was fixed on that. And then I started looking up, I think I looked up like Xenomorph from like aliens uh-huh. and I looked up that and I was like, Ooh, Xeno, that sounds nice. And then I looked up the kind of the, the root of the word, what the, the prefix means. And it's like foreign. And I was like, Ooh, and then I just tapped on gene in front of that. And there's, there's another book called Xeno gene out there, but I don't know. I, I looked up, apparently you can have the same name. So that's all cool. Is it in English and as well? What? That other book? Um, I think so. Yeah, his his is like space stuff, but okay, think, okay. Yeah. But yeah, it and then I I, I realized like okay, I, I tacked those two together, and the the reason I tacked them together was it's 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 meaning it's it's intent, but um, the symbology behind it is it's a foreign gene, that's literally what it translates to, oh. and so it relates to the actual theme and the setting of your modifying humans with foreign genes but it also relates to the main character in that um you'll see this later it's all symbolic okay, okay. <laughs> but he, he he's in he's in his home kind of his hometown that he's familiar with and then he gets injected into a place that's foreign to him and then essentially he gets he has to deal with that and so it's it's kind of symbolic in that way in that he is transferred from one place to another and yeah so <laughs> wow i always <laughs> think that real. the process of choosing the title is the most interesting because it's like when you're re- when you're reading a book and i don't know english class and you're analyzing it when the title drops that's when you have to really take note of what's happening yeah yeah mm. oh yeah yeah if it if it drops in the in the actual book you're like oh, oh wait what <laughs> 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 okay yeah. this has been very interesting i really learned a lot from this yeah I'm, I'm glad thank you so much for being part of my project and for being such a wonderful guest yeah and thank you thank you for inspiring a bunch of people and just being so consistent about it and honest i'm really excited to read your book when it drops yeah. in is there a specific date or is it just may 2022 it'll be yeah may I think the ebook comes out first May. Maybe the paperback comes as well. But yeah, around May, June, everything should should be there. Ebook, um, paperback, it should be on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, kind of major booksellers everywhere. So yeah. Okay, I'm gonna be on the lookout for that for sure. Yeah. <laughs>